This episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Primus. This is the podcast where I teach you the business of being a safety consultant. And this week, we're actually going to start the beginning of a series. So the series that we're going to do is for OSHA record keeping since there is a compliance deadline coming up for March 2nd for doing your injury tracking application. That's the online version of your record keeping. It's not everybody, uh, just those people who are first under the rules to record injuries and illnesses because there are some exceptions to that. And uh, if you're a small company where you have 20 to 239 employees, then at that point, you have to hit a special category of high risk or high hazard companies. And then if you're over that 250 mark, then now you, and again, if your company is required to keep records, not all companies are, but if your company is required to keep records, then at that point, you do have to submit your ITA injury tracking application online with OSHA and it's your 300 form or 300A excuse me 300 would be like crazy so those are numbers I'm going to go over the numbers but what I'm deciding to do is break this thing up into a series so we're going to take it into really small bite-sized chunks so that everyone will get an idea to, to get a good grasp of it and for those of you international, I know um, from teaching internationally that a lot of other countries find it really kind of cool to see what OSHA counts as recordable or not. So now you're going to get a good understanding of that. So when you're dealing with your counterparts in the U.S., you kind of understand what they're saying when they're either talking about the numbers or talking about compliance regulations with that. So that is the goal. We're going to take this thing slowly. Going to have some fun with it as much as we can. And I'm going to show you the OSHA record-keeping sign. This is just going to be my, me and got some background noise today. I'm just going to have some fun with it. I'm going to go old school and we're going to play some music like I normally do. Back in the day. So you guys are going to have to hear that to drown out my background noise. Not bad, right? So let's start, uh, and honestly, I'm going right in it because truly, uh, this is something that's top of mind right now for those in the U.S., and then I want to make sure that you're going to hit your compliance deadline, too, at the same time for your clients, because you got to help your clients, and they're going to be calling you right now. If you're looking for a revenue for service and you get this real good, then it's not a bad idea to reach out to people and say, I can help you with your record-keeping. All right, so let's start with one major definition that you're going to need to know. This change happened years ago. This definition is going to be, or it's going to be two definitions, basically, and it's more criteria. One criteria is if there is a fatality, not going to that it doesn't happen, but if there is, once the person who is the employer gets notified, they have to call OSHA within eight hours. So that's a must. 
uh, you're going to end up having to do that. Another thing is catastrophe. This is a condition where either one person is hospitalized, one loss of eye, or one amputation. To OSHA, that's a catastrophe. This butts up against a COVID-19 um, pandemic in the U.S. and across the world because it's called a global pandemic, right? So in the U.S. side, if you are under OSHA, it's hard for you to save if one off, meaning one person is hospitalized from COVID-19 that it was due to work-related injuries or work-related exposure. However, once you get that second, once you get a third, if you get a group like a, a cluster, people that go to work together and come back and they test positive for COVID-19, the positive testing isn't recordable. However, if it hits the category of catastrophe or you know, fatality, and you find out about it from uh, the family member that, hey, you know, Billy just had to go to the hospital due to uh, COVID and uh, it, it progressed. So at that point, especially if Billy's not the only person at your work site that has COVID, you need to call OSHA within 24 hours. Don't debate it. Don't even say, well, maybe you could get it from home, could get it from this there. Don't, don't do that. OSHA will find you, especially if workers start calling. So I'm starting with the big one because that's probably going to be the easiest top of mind thing that you're thinking about. Again, one person, one off. All right, you got to get kind of, you know, reason that one out. But once you get the second, get a third, even a fourth, and someone goes into the hospital, it's not the diagnosis, it's the hospitalization or fatality. At that point, call OSHA. Don't guess. Call OSHA. So I'm going to start with that right out the gate. Uh, that's where people are getting cited. The average site for at one point was $13,000 US dollars for not going ahead and reporting that. So no matter what the philosophy is of the owner or other people involved in decision making, trust me on this one. You need to call OSHA within 24 hours of finding out that someone who was diagnosed with COVID-19 at your workplace, especially if you have that cluster or second, third, at that point, your next response is, I just found out about this from a family member that this thing has progressed. I am going to go ahead and call OSHA. All right, so we got that big one out of there. Again, we're gonna take this thing uh, very small, so bite-sized pieces. So I mentioned earlier that there are some industries that are exempt from OSHA record keeping altogether. The exemptions are really partially exempt. If someone still falls into fatality or catastrophe, you need to tell OSHA about that one and you still have to record that. So there are some companies who are exempt because of their days away restricted transfer rate, DART, days away restricted transfer rate. Uh, their DART rates are those cases that are, let's just say, percentages that are so low that OSHA says like, all right, you guys have such low DART rates that we're okay. You don't need to record uh, any injuries and illness to us unless we ask you to. 
and then basically they're grabbing your North American Industrial Classification System Code, NAICS, and they're going to look at the whole industry and they want to see, okay, are we right in letting you guys have this exemption? And if they are, then you'll keep your exemption. If not, and your DART rate starts going up, then they're going to end up pulling you out of the partially exempt list, which is found in the 29 CFR 1904. That's the record keeping rule for OSHA. It's going to be in uh, subpart B, and it's going to be appendix A of subpart B. So that's a, there's a whole list, a chart of people who are exempt, such as uh, auto, home, and supply stores, boat dealers, job training, vocational research, uh, rehabilitation services, residential care, laundry cleaning, garment services, non-store retail, field dealers. That's a, a list of those. So they are exempt partially, again, if any catastrophe or fatality happens, they still have to report to OSHA. If it's BLS, Bureau of Labor Statistics, asking for their, them to keep injuries and illnesses, then BLS takes precedence as well. So you got to go ahead and keep those injuries and illness records for those cases. Partially exempt, see? Not totally exempt, partially exempt. And the days away restricted transfer cases to OSHA are really important because uh, those dark cases says that you injured someone to such a degree that they needed to take a day away or the doctor had to restrict them. They could have lifted 20 pounds and now the doctor says you can only lift five or they were transferred. Hey, you can't work in a field. Let's go ahead and put you in the office, do some paperwork for a little while until you get better. So that is a dart instance. How would you do the calculation would be number of cases times and then number of DART cases, days away restricted transfer, times a constant, which is 200,000. And that constant is represented of, if you have one worker and they're working a 40-hour work week, that means they're working 2,080 hours. If you give them two weeks off in a year, that means they're only working 2,000 hours. So the constant is made up of if you had 100 employees and you gave all each of those employees two weeks off, then you're going to be cal calculating their hours at 200,000 hours. That is going to be the number in the numerator. So the number of dark cases, not the days, just the cases, times the 200,000 divided by your company, your work hours, your man hours that you're logging. Once you get that number and the, your, your company's representative of employee hours are going to be in the numerator, or excuse me, the denominator, the bottom part of that um, formula. And then that, um, what you get from there, the results out of that is going to be your DART rate. So at that time, if your DART rate is higher than your competitors, or average, then you know you can pretty much see that OSHA is saying, you know, you are better or worse than these people in your industry, and therefore you may now start having to keep records as an industry as whole if you start accumulating higher and higher DART instances. See, we're starting out with math, math and already. Look at this. 
So the next thing that we're gonna have to really, really focus on after that is truly trying to figure out uh, not only the dark cases, but you wanna make sure that you know for sure uh, and just everything that I'm gonna be saying is coming off of the OSHA CFR, which is called Code of Federal Regulation. So it's 29 Department of Labor. CFR Code of Federal Federal Regulations 1904 is a part number and then from there everything in the part 1904 is what we call record keeping. Uh, there's another set of exemptions and we're starting to small remember and then we'll build on it uh, from time to time. I'm gonna just keep telling you a little bit more. I'm not too sure how long this series will be. Uh, chances are with this information it'll be about three series because it is uh, pretty long, right? But here's another thing with exemptions because we're on that first. So if your company is really small, 10 or fewer, then you have a exemption from record keeping because you're just really small. So in those cases, you're still not exempt from notifying OSHA if there is a case that will lead to a hospitalization loss of eye, amputation, that's your catastrophe, or a fatality. OSHA still needs to know about that. So 10 or fewer. That number does kind of vary though. If you hire people, or not even hire, if you have them as temporary workers and you're supervising those temporary workers, that goes against your number count. And then if you have over 10, that 11th person that you're supervising so let's say you had um 10 workers you need one extra worker to help you through a season and you're now uh, getting them from a temporary agency you're supervising them you're telling them about the ppe they need to use they're helping you with your activities in the interest of you the employer they count as your employee so now to osha you have 11 employees even though that person is a temporary worker you have 11 employees at that point you have to keep records if you fall into that uh, category of workplaces by NAICS codes that has to keep records. So you fall onto that. So that is your exceptions. I gave you guys a little bit of the COVID-19. Uh, OSHA does have a record keeping page, which is really important to find. So you'll go to OSHA.gov, and I'm going to do it right now just to make sure I'm giving you guys the right URL, but I believe it's forward slash record keeping. So I just typed it in, and it is that. Uh, there's a frequently asked question page. There's even a PowerPoint presentation on that page, OSHA.gov forward slash record keeping. Uh, there's a few other things. One of the most important things to look at would be the part that says letters of interpretation. There's a whole bunch of letters of interpretations. And what that means is some people will say, OSHA, I don't understand what you're saying here. I don't get it. Help me out. And OSHA will read their specific case. And from reading their specific case, they're going to go ahead and they're going to figure out, all right, I think that you need to go here <laughs> and then they'll start directing them as to where they need to go so those 11 interpretations on that page is very important to do 
All right, that is it. That is the quick one for today. I'm only keeping these in bite-sized pieces uh, because you need to get a grasp of the first part before you can get a grasp of the next part. So the next part of this series, what we're going to do is going to go over the five-step process of finding out if something's recordable or not. That's a big one. I'm probably going to make that a little longer, but you're just going to figure out, is this recordable or not? Do I put this in my uh, recordable logs? The number logs I mentioned before, 300, 300A, and then there's an auto one, 301, which is considered the first notice of injury one. So we'll go through all that. If you have not subscribed to this podcast, this is the best time to do it. So you could know when the series is posted. I like to get my podcast up on Monday and every week from time to time. Life happens and I'm still an active consultant. So it may be, you know, later on in the week, but generally it's been Monday. So go ahead and subscribe. So whenever I do extras, because sometimes I do, then you will have a notification on your phone saying that Sheldon with safety consultant with Sheldon Primus has posted something else and you could go listen to the new thing. What you can also do for me is go ahead and share it with a friend. I really would like to grow this podcast and even if someone is not going to be a safety consultant and you know that they're doing work in safety and health, you know, then go ahead, share it with them. Now they can learn about record keeping and learn about some of the other things that we've went over. So go ahead and do those two things. And if you're feeling really awesome and you want to help me out like even more, then go ahead and leave a comment on wherever you're listening to me right now on the podcast. Now that is just like the trifecta of awesome right there, helping me out quite a bit. So thank you very much. Enjoy your week. Go get them. This episode has been powered by Safety FM. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast or broadcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within the past hour are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast or broadcast may be reproduced, stored within a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast or broadcast, Sheldon Primus.